The best thing about Christmas is Jesus. And as Christians, we believe that the way that we get to know Jesus is through God's word spoken to us in the Bible. And so uh, Anne's going to read now um, to us from Luke, one of the accounts of Jesus' birth, life, death and teaching, um, from Luke chapter 2, from verse 25 to 32. Okay, so I'm going to read from Luke 2, 25, if you're reading at home. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the, for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Thanks, Anna, for that. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the leaders here at church. Great to have you with us, either online or in person. Uh, online, if you're joining us for the first time or even here in the building. Can we just take a quick moment as well just to thank the team who pulled all this together in such a short amount of time? Can we thank the team for doing that? It's a, uh, it's a massive effort. And uh, Christmas Eve isn't exactly how we thought it was going to be, and obviously that's the case for people across New South Wales. And so you know, our thoughts are with them, and particularly with those looking to celebrate Christmas on the northern beaches at the moment. But it's uh, a massive blessing to be able to look at the true meaning of Christmas from the reading that we heard just before about who Jesus really is. Because really, he is at the centre of the story. Now, I don't know how you would answer the question, what's the best thing you've ever seen? But let me rattle off a few contenders for me. Uh, this year, we went down the south coast on a holiday, as we kind of do every year. And we, we went to one particular area that we hadn't visited before because it was a pretty sort of windy day, so we wanted to go somewhere sheltered. So we'd heard that there was this rock pool that you could go to. And so we took the kids there, and after a while they kind of got over the rock pool, so they wanted to go exploring. And so we, there was like a, a large set of rocks kind of near the water that we started to climb over. And as we did that, we noticed that some waves were breaking in an odd way kind of close to the shore. And as we looked a bit closer, we realised these weren't waves that were breaking, but they were whales that were breaching. And we saw one or two and thought, that is amazing. We've never seen them that close and in the wild. But then there was two or three, four or five. Then there were pods of them doing that thing where they kind of circle around, they create that bubble wall, and then fish come up in the middle, and, and then they come up in the middle and eat them all. And then there was a pot over here, and then one's over here. And then before we knew it, there was just, there was whales everywhere. And at first we were thinking, like, is this, is this, does everyone down here just, is this just par for the course? Like, they just know, ah, oh, yeah, the whales are, they're doing their thing again, or whatever it was. But then we had someone show up who was from the whale watching tour in Jarvis Bay, and they'd finished their shift, and they'd heard about what was happening and came down. And so we asked them, we said, what's going on here? And they said, well, look, from what you can see, end to end, there's probably about 100 whales here. And they also said, just know, you will never see this again in your lifetime, so lap it up. For whatever reason, they normally do this further down the coast at Eden, but for that day, they decided, I think probably because we were there, they just wanted to put on a bit of a show, 
And so we got to watch this thing. It was for hours on end of whales just having the time of their life. So that, that would be up there for some of the best things I've seen. Maybe the others would be my wife, my bride coming down the aisle, being able to meet our kids for the first time. Look, I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the question, what's the best thing you've ever seen? But I, I doubt that anyone watching online or here in the building could say that you've ever seen something where after it you thought, I've seen it all now, I could die happy. I doubt anyone has said those words or thought something with that kind of gravity after having seen something. In the story that Anna just read out before, that's exactly what Zechariah says. He sees something and then he says, you know what, I can die happy now, I've seen it all. It's the story of a man who has seen something absolutely mind-blowing and he cannot believe it. It's the story of Simeon, rather, I think I said Zechariah, Simeon, who was an old man who never did anything significant. He wasn't rich, he wasn't powerful, he wasn't influential, he never did anything of any kind of measure, but he saw something. And the reason he's remembered today and the reason we're talking about him today was because he didn't see anything special, but he, uh, sorry, he didn't do anything special, but he witnessed something incredible. And that's this story. And it's a story that starts in the Gospel of Luke, which is a historical account collected by a guy called Luke, funnily enough, who was a doctor, a physician, who'd collected a bunch of eyewitness accounts and put together the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching ministry, his miracles, and finally his tragic death, and then his glorious resurrection. And he's put it together in an orderly account, and he includes this story in it to give us a clue about who Jesus is. And the story starts this way. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we're told that he was an Israelite, he was very serious about his religious beliefs. It says he was a devout man, so he was very committed. But we're also told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, as an Israelite, he was very conscious that they were not a free nation. They were overruled by the, the Roman Empire. They had been run over. They were not technically a free people. They were living under Roman rule. And a bit like us under the pandemic, they were conscious every day that things were not the way they're supposed to be. When you're sitting around with people with face masks on, when you're getting tests every time you have symptoms for a cold or flu, when restrictions ease or when restrictions tighten, when any of those things happen, it's a reminder to us that we're not living in normal times. And everything about Israel's life would have been a reminder to them that things weren't right. Every time you walk past a Roman centurion, Every time you saw some kind of Roman insignia, every time you paid for something with Roman money, it was a reminder to you as an Israelite that you were not a free people, that things were not right. And they were waiting for the time when God said he would set his people free. This is what it's talking about here when it talks about the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the time when things would be right again, when God's people would be free to live as God's people. And he was also told something pretty significant. He was told that before he dies, he was going to meet the Christ. Which in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and being a very devout religious man like he was, he would have read it cover to cover. And in that, they were told of this Christ, a king who would come. It just means king. 
but a king who would come and set Israel free. And so here, Simeon knows, he comes into the story, the background is this guy Simeon knows that before he dies, he's going to meet this Christ, this king, the one who's going to set everything back to right. And so with that in mind, we walk into the next part of the story. It says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus in, uh, to, do, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Jesus' parents bring him into the temple. And that's a pretty usual thing to do. We're told in the story that this was the custom to bring this child in. But Simeon sees him and picks up this child that he's never met before. Now again, that's not that strange. If you've been to a, a non-Western country, that can happen. When we went to Fiji, into a village there, uh, Asher, our youngest, who is now eight years old, was just a baby. And he would, he would get picked up by the people who were actually, like the, the checkout chicks or whoever. People would just like pass him around. Eventually, you'd just be like, I don't know where my child is. I know he's in the shop somewhere. But in other cultures, it's, it's kind of common, right, that, that you would pick up someone else's kid. It's adorable. But then he says something that isn't that usual. Then he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now that's something that you don't say about every kid. I mean, that would be a heck of a compliment for someone to say, wow, look at your kid, I can die now, I can die a happy person. That is the ultimate compliment. But he's making a more significant statement than that. He's saying, wow, I've seen the Christ, the King, who's going to set everything right. God, I've seen your plan of salvation. Now that I see this kid, I realize this is the one that you're going to save your people through. That's it. That's all I needed to see. My life is complete. He basically says, I can die happy now, Lord. I've seen what you promised I would see. Now it's funny, at this point, Jesus hasn't done anything yet, has he? Other than probably poop and cry and feed. That's about all he's done. Thanks, kids. <laughs> That's one for you. <laughs> but he's done nothing yet. So why is, why is Simeon saying at this point, well, this is it, I've seen it all? Well, now that he's seen the beginning, he knows how it's going to end. You can think of it in this way. At some point, it seems likely that next year, a vaccine will start to be, to be actually used and implemented in the community. And at that point, it will still be a bumpy road before life gets back to normal, whatever that's going to be. But at that point, it will be a significant marker, won't it? At that point, we will know things are taking a step towards putting this thing down, and we are really on the way to a different story in the new year. Once that moment happens, it's not the end, but it's enough. Simeon, when he sees Jesus, hasn't seen the end. He doesn't know what's to come yet, but he's seen enough. He doesn't know that this Jesus is going to grow up into a man who will teach people the love of God and who ultimately will not just talk about the love of God but demonstrate it by dying for people who even hate him so that they, he might die in their place for their sin so that anyone who believes in him would have their sin washed away and have a new relationship with God. Anyone. And he hung out with sinners, with tax collectors, with the despised and the appalled. Simeon sees this kid and says, I've seen enough. God, I can die happy now. 
That's enough for me. I'm good and my life is complete. I wonder if you were to answer the question, if I had this one thing, my life would be complete. Most people at some point have answered that question. If you don't have one on the tip of your tongue right at this moment. But most people have something they feel like, if I had this, or by the end of my life, if I had accomplished this, I would call that a pretty full life. I remember when I was a kid walking in on a conversation in my parents' living room, and they had all the neighbours around. And I don't fully know the context of what was happening, but it must have been something around the idea of sharing either bucket lists or kind of big goals that people wanted to get done before they, their life finished. And they were sharing things about, you know, maybe getting a boat, about travelling to here or there or whatever. And as an as a eight-year-old kid, I was kind of listening in on this, leaning against the door, and I had two Ninja Turtles in my hand. And I said to them, just for context, Ninja Turtles is a kid's show about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's about all I can let you in on at this point. You'll have to do a deep dive on Google after this. But leaning against the wall and pretty sort of nonchalant about it as well, I said, um, well, well, my life goal was to get all four Ninja Turtles and I did that last week. So I think I just, I just left it with a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And I can't remember if it was on the night or later reflection in the later years, but I, I remember cringing afterwards, thinking like, oh, they must have thought I was so silly. But then when you think about it, I mean, sharing boats or travel, in the end, I mean, they're just toys for big kids, aren't they? And they're the kind of things that actually most people, if you live long enough, grow out of anyway, don't you? So in some ways, my example wasn't really that much more trivial than anyone else's. Because the truth is, often we want something so badly because we think it will complete us, and then when we have it, it's like it evaporates on contact. A career, a relationship, a certain possession, a status, an accomplishment, and once it's done, it slips through our fingers like sand. Possessions just don't satisfy. I'm reading a book at the moment, and a great Christmas New Year's read if you're looking to pick something up. It's by Eddie Jaku. I think that's how you say his surname. And it's called The Happiest Man on Earth. Just for context, is there anyone who's read it or reading it or anything like that? Huge. Oh, well, you gave me the book, kids, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> but he was an Auschwitz survivor. So he survived a Nazi concentration camp, a Jewish man, and spent the remaining years of his life uh, from 50 onwards in Australia. And he said something about his time in Auschwitz. He was just talking about su surviving Auschwitz. And he was talking about how precious rags were. And you think, what an extraordinary thing. He said rags were as precious as gold in Auschwitz. More precious, perhaps. You and catch this. He says, you couldn't do much with gold, but you could use rags to, to bind wounds or to stuff in your uniform to keep warm or to keep yourself a little cleaner. Isn't that extraordinary? When it comes to a matter of life and death, it really shows what things are worth. And he was saying, if you had a pile of gold in Auschwitz, you would have traded it for a rag like that. It meant nothing. Most of the things that we say are valuable are just mutual conspiracy. They're only important if we all say they're important. But ultimately, when it comes to things like life or even eternal life, they count for naught. When Simeon looks on Jesus, he sees his true worth. He says, this is God come in the flesh, come to save us from death. This is real treasure. This matters. And he says, my life is complete. 
Having met Jesus, it's enough to say, that's it. I've found it. I've found what it's all about. And I can testify that coming to know Jesus myself was exactly that experience. I didn't have a miraculous experience. I didn't have like some crazy vision or something like that. I heard the Bible spoken about. I heard a talk from it. And I'd heard it for years even before that. But one day, it just made sense. I got it. I'm like, I get it now. Jesus is king. He died for me. He, didn't just, he wasn't just a concept or an idea. He's a real person who lived and died for me and is actually my God. And not only that, but he's what life is about. And I was like, I get it. Finally, I get why people go to church. I'd been going along for years and just putting up with it. But finally, I understood it. I understood why people read the Bible as a treasure. Once you get Jesus, you get everything. Simeon looks at Jesus and he says, my life is complete. It's enough. And so if you're here today, if you're tuning in today, and you don't know the treasure that is Jesus, I just encourage you, this, make, it, make this the Christmas where you find out. Where you don't just base where you stand on Jesus, on second-hand opinions, or what you've heard someone maybe said about who he is, but would really find out who he is because it is life-changing. Simeon here says, I've met Jesus, it's enough, my life's complete. And if you want help with that, we would love to speak to you over this time. We'd love for you to join us over January as we look into God's Word and the treasure that Jesus is in 1 John. And if you are here and a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you not to forget what you have in Christ? In a year of restrictions, hasn't it reminded us of how many things were just so familiar to us that we took them for granted? And when we can't have them, we realize how precious and significant they are. If you are a follower of Christ, don't forget what you have in Christ. You have indestructible life. You have a gift. And it is amazing. Simeon sees Jesus for who he is and says, my life is complete. Don't be Christians this Christmas who live as though you didn't have it all in Christ. Don't forget the miracle it is to know the God who became man who died for you and to rejoice and give thanks. And so before we, uh, we enjoy our final carols for our Christmas Eve service, I'm going to pray that we would really dig into the treasure that Jesus is and contemplate that as we sing these words that the church has sung for hundreds of years. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you sent Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. You sent him into the world and that Christmas is a reminder that Jesus didn't remain a child but grew up to be a man and one who lived a perfect life of love. That he honoured you in all things. And Father, we just pray that we'd remember that it's our joy to know Christ, to know this forgiveness and to be set free and to spend our lives following him knowing that he is worthy of our life. Father, we just pray all of this for the sake of your holy name. Amen.